I often think about like, yeah, what George would think of all of this as well, because the world really changed after George Harrison died. Like, yeah, um, he, you know, dies in 2001, um, you know, like literally just a couple of months after 9-11, you know, like he, he, George really died at a point where the world just changed so much, like, and it's still changing today. But I think, and Danny says this as well, like uh, George's song Devil's Radio from from Cloud Nine is like a precursor to, you know, it's like a warning for like the world we live in today. Like the whole point of Devil's Radio is like in the Live in Japan show after he finishes it, he says, Devil's Radio, don't be a broadcaster. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> he's like, he's so conscious of just these people with insane ideas and who just aren't experts on a topic and who don't really, who aren't qualified to speak about something, who are just speaking as I speak into a microphone, Um, (laughs) you know, like just, I think, I think George would have found the world of like podcasting and uh, TV shows and reality TV to just be so much and just social media to just be, you know, so, and when I talk about podcasting, I of course don't mean something like this, where we're speaking with love about the Beatles. I mean something like Joe Rogan, you know, like someone, just one person, like having so much influence and creating so much, at times, harmful, um, you know, false information. Junctures from Liverpool, England. The Beatles have held this title for eight years. My model of business is the Beatles. You know, they were four very talented guys. Welcome back to the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. I'm your host, Jack Lawless. This episode is the second part to our epic conversation with Elliot Roberts. If you have not listened to part one, I highly recommend you listen to that first. The link to that episode is in the podcast description, so go check it out now. And for those of you who have listened to it, here is part two of our conversation. Are you planning on making a, uh, a Ringo solo album ranking video? Oh, man. That's a lot of people have asked me that question. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if I can. May, look, maybe. Uh, I don't know if I can dedicate because he has more or less as many studio albums or, you know, covers albums, studio albums as Paul does. Um, and that was such an undertaking, but a pleasure because I love pretty much every album Paul's made to a degree. Um, I can't say the same about Ringo necessarily, <laughs> but look, maybe I'll, if I do it, it probably will be a little bit pared back. Like I will do every album, but maybe I'll just do like a tier list or something like that. <laughs> like, like Ringo is an S tier album, Bukas of Blues, like A tier, um, the Christmas one with like the most whack album artwork of all time. Maybe that's Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'll see. Maybe the more I listen to because again, I haven't gone through his full discography. So it depends. I, I, I might find the enthusiasm to do it, but whether or not I do, I will make a video or two on Ringo. I was even just thinking of making a video called just why I love Ringo. And it's just pretty (laughs) much just going to be like all the reasons why Ringo Starr really matters because within the Beatles, 
it's so easy to look at John and Paul and George and then Ringo, you know, like if you look at it on songwriting capabilities, of course it's, you know, Ringo's taking a backseat. But what I tell people who think that Ringo, you know, isn't of the same caliber as the other three, I go musically and what he provided with his sound, Ringo is maybe the most important because he was the he was the beat in the Beatles. Like he yeah. provided, he provided the rhythm uh, along with Paul and his bass playing. Like he, like Ringo's drumming is so pivotal to the Beatles sound and the way that he would just not need to take up space. And he was just providing these three other geniuses with just what they needed, you know, and he just knew he just could lock into a song and just understood the assignment every time. And that is rare for a drummer to not want to, you know, like that so much was happening to them. They were getting all this fame, um, so much notoriety about like, oh, that these incredible musicians, like it's incredible that Ringo didn't feel the need to like jazz it up and be like, oh no, I, I, I think I'm at the point where I want to do like a big solo here on this album on a few of the right. songs. I want to do this. I want to have, you know, whatever it might be. I want to have a feature here where, but he, he never did that. He understood what he was working with, with John Paul and George and was like, I just want to provide the best possible sound for these incredible songs that, that I have the pleasure of hearing. And yeah, so his, his drumming is so underrated it's it, it, it's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, just look at the drum fills in A Day in the Life and I Am the Walrus. There's there's like no other drummer around that can create sounds that unique yeah. and so important at the same time. So I, I, def, I definitely agree. And I'm looking forward to that Ringo video for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, I, I will 100% make something about Ringo. It's also when you see like clips of them playing live and you often have... I, either because they can't hear themselves or just because they're those three front men are having a laugh. Like there's this, this is clip of um, Paul singing. I'm down. And he just, I think he starts laughing or he forgets the words and Ringo's just immediately there with like a drum fill to just fill in the gap where there would have been awkward silence. Like Ringo's just watching them. Like, and he does that and get back. All he does is just, he just observes and he watches and wherever he's needed he's just immediately there like during a song before a song like he's just so plugged into those other three Beatles that there couldn't have ever been another drummer without Ringo you know um yes yeah. exactly and kind of similar to how you described George earlier like he knows when to talk yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very similar to Ringo because Ringo <laughs> knows when to play and George knows when to play I mean, you can't have everyone, you know, hogging the spotlight in the camera because that 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 belongs to Paul, you know. Yeah, yeah. As uh, as uh, George said in the Dick Cavett interview, he used to get all the girls with his. Yeah. <laughs> and he does this like <laughs> shimmy, um, and that and that and that's that's the thing. It's like Paul was the cute one. He was the he was the looker, and he knew it. Paul knew yeah. that he was, you know, quote unquote, the best looking. Like he knew that he was the cute one, and he knew where the camera was. And he knew where the girls were as well. Like mm -hmm. I love in Get Back, there's just four separate clips of the band members entering 
um, Apple Studios. And there's these Apple scruffs, just two Apple scruffs, uh, two girls just standing outside. And John walks in with Yoko, just very kind of whatever. Ringo walks in, George walks in the quickest, like he doesn't want anything <laughs> to do with it. And Paul's yeah. the only one who acknowledges them. He's he, it's very it's very brief. He just gives them, you know, a nod and yeah. like an eyebrow raise, but he acknowledges them. It's like uh again in Dreaming the Beatles, Rob Sheffield's book. I'm gonna plug it more than he did. But he, like <laughs> the opening, he opens the book talking about what happened at the end of the Beatles' last performance on the rooftop. The first thing Paul says is, thanks, Mo. Of course, talking to Maureen Starkey, um, uh, Ringo's girlfriend or wife at the time. Um, and she was she was one of the original, like, uh, Beatles fans. Like, she was there in the cabin, you know, loving them before they were famous. And that's, but that's also Paul in a nutshell. That's Paul finding the girl in the crowd that's cheering and screaming. Right. And saying thank you, like acknowledging them, acknowledging what just the 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 fan, the 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 that screaming girl in the crowd has given to the band. Because without yeah. them, they wouldn't have been who who they became. And right. Paul, more than any of them, knew that, and he knows it to t- today as well. Yeah. Do you have a favorite memory associated with the Beatles? I have a few. Um, I mean, seeing Paul McCartney in 2017 uh, when he finally toured Australia, you got to understand oh, wow. we don't get them much here. He, the last time he was here was when he was touring off the ground in 1993. So wow. to I, I was like living my life thinking Paul would just not come to Australia and then I'd have to like go to the US or the UK to see him. And then he finally announced the tour. This is just before he released Egypt Station. So he didn't even have uh, a new album out. It was, it was really random. Wow. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I went to that concert with, um, my dad and my brother and it was just a really, we had like seats up in the nosebleeds, like right at the back. Um, but it didn't matter. Like we were seeing a Beatle play live and it was just, it was just really special. You know, like my dad, the guy who introduced me to the Beatles and we're watching Paul McCartney, you know, um, that's, yeah. that's, that was a really, really special night. And of course he played like a million songs. Um, and didn't get tired or anything like that because he's Paul yeah. McCartney. Incredible, um, right? Just obscene. Um, I, I I don't understand it, but I'm not going to complain because like it, it's Paul McCartney. I can't I can't imagine a world without him in it, like doing that. Yeah. You know, it's just I can't believe he's going to be 80 years old in like a couple days. I and know. He's going to be headlining Glastonbury. Like, isn't that yeah. like if you spoke to someone 20 years ago and was like, yeah, in the year 2022, there's going to be an 80 year old man headlining Glastonbury. And I think, oh, man, this this festival has really gone down the <laughs> toilet. Um, but no, of course, yeah. like because he, he was meant to headline in 2020. And I love that he's like, well, you know, I couldn't do it then. So we're going to do it two years later. You know, other artists might have yeah. just been like, ah, I was going to do it then. But, you know, the pandemic, everything. I don't need to do it now. But he he stayed committed He's he an eighty year old is going to headline Glastonbury and he's probably going to outperform everyone else there. Like, yeah, it's just it's just crazy. I, I'm um, so happy for him. Oh, yeah, man, it's it's the best. Uh, but I hear he's not playing as much McCartney three material, which um, is pl- playing a lot of Egypt Station stuff. I think he should play more McCartney three material. He's got some really good stuff on there. Um, yeah. But it, also to answer your question. Um, 
favorite memories associated with the Beatles can also can can be big things like that. Can be me seeing Paul McCartney play live, but it's also those moments in your life where you just become really obsessed with like an album or a song for just a period of time. Like I remember a couple of years ago, there was just like a two month period where I just became obsessed with the song Nowhere Man. And I would listen to it like five times a day. And I love those periods of like Beatles memories as well, because it's it's just that time where for whatever reason, a song, an album, or even just a portion of a song is just speaking to you or just clicking with you in some way that's like providing you so much joy and kind of peace. Um, I'm a big harmony guy, like one of the first things I loved about the Beatles was of course the joy that they was in their music, but also what I learned later on, I didn't even know what a harmony was when I was that age, but I just loved hearing all their voices together. And that's why I think rubber soul and I won't tell you my favorite album, but I think rubber soul and Abbey road are really up there for me because they're two albums that have a lot of, especially three part harmonies. There's no sound I prefer in the world than hearing John, Paul, and George's voice together. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I just, I, I really love it. And Rubber Soul is pretty much that on every song. Just, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know why more bands don't do that these days. Maybe because it is just too difficult, but like more three-part harmonies. And, and, and like, yeah. you've got no excuse. Like the Beatles played Nowhere Man live. They didn't necessarily do a great job of it, but right. <laughs> at that point in their career, um, <laughs> but they still attempted it. Like it's this song from start to finish and all three of them are singing in three-part harmony, all different different notes, different harmonies. He's a real nowhere man Sitting in his nowhere land Making all his nowhere plans for nobody yeah. like, that's, that's what I think is missing in music these days. It's just that, just, just attempt that. You know, just, just, it, it sounds so good and no, I sound like a boomer now, but like no auto tune or anything, just, just like their, just their voices mixed yeah. together in just a beautiful way. I, I love that. I, I love, I, I love Nowhere Man. I love the message of it. I love that it, it's a, such a departure from what they were doing and what they would continue to do. I love the the story of how John came up with it, how he was trying to come up with this song for, you know, hours, days, and then finally he gives up and just lies on his bed and the whole thing comes to him in like an instant. Um, I Yeah, I just, it's one of my favorite Beatles songs. Uh, I, I love, you know, memories like that where you just get obsessed with something. Uh, mm-hmm. Another favorite would be this recent trip that I went on. Um, I just went to Liverpool for the first time in my life. Oh, no way. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd been to, I'd been to England before, and I'd done like the Abbey Road crossing, which I did do again this time. Um, but I'd never been to Liverpool, and I took a solo pilgrimage there, just just me, and it was all kind of like self guided. I just took myself to the cavern and Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields, and um, I did that. The only tour I did do, which you have to do on a tour, is where you get to visit their uh, Paul and John's childhood homes, mm-hmm. um, which was just a really special experience. Um, so it only literally happened like last month, but it would be a top Beatles memory for me because, um, yeah, going to kind of like the origins of these places where, 
you know, sitting in the room where they wrote, she loves you, you know, it's just a very special experience. So definitely that. I am so happy you got to go to Liverpool. I've never been actually, and I've always wanted to go. Um, and I heard that they're actually mm. opening up Paul McCartney's childhood home. Oh yeah. Uh, so now you're able to rent it if you if you would like to go in and and spend an hour of your time there to like write a song and get inspiration, which I think is really 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 cool. Yeah, they they mentioned that um, at the end of the tour. I think his brother is really spearheading that. Uh, Mike McGear. Um, yeah. He he's I think a big part of that. He yeah once because people go to those houses for almost like a yeah like a spiritual moment like that we one of my favorite stories um from that tour is our, our tour guide was like bob dylan did this tour in like 2009 he didn't get any special wow. treatment he was on like the tour bus like everyone else in the minivan just like shuttling between the two places um and wow. he yeah he really he wanted to go to john lennon's house um of course um and he apparently just went up to john lennon's room and stayed there for 10 minutes or so um and everyone was just kind of waiting for him um and he came out and they were like what was it like and he was just he just said fantastic or like incredible or something like mm. that apparently he just he wanted to see what john lennon saw when he woke up every morning like isn't that beautiful yeah. Like he just wanted to be in the bedroom where John Lennon would open his eyes to a new day when he was at this pivotal age where he discovered he wanted to be a musician, a songwriter when he was forming the Beatles. Like I love that. I love that someone like Bob Dylan, who's like lived his life and like, yeah. <laughs> you know, probably you'd think can't learn anything more from this, this world still was like, I'm curious. I'm curious to, to see John Lennon's house and to be inside his bedroom. That's it with these, uh, these aging rock stars. It's like, what's so great about them? It's just their curiosity. It's another thing that I, I've taken from the Beatles is just their innate curiosity with everything in it and anything, you know, um, it's part of why I went to, to Liverpool myself. It's like, I have to know, I have to know what it's like there, even though it's, you know, 50, 60 years later, I, I need to know what being in Liverpool is like I need I I I wanted to do the walk from Paul to John's house across Calderstone mm. Park, you know, like I, I I just wanted to like live and breathe that for a bit. Um, so yeah, it's a yeah, it's a special time. If you can make it out there at any point, I you won't regret it. Did you see Penny Lane? I did. I I went to Penny Lane, um, and I just walked the entire length with Penny Lane on a loop. On my headphones, <laughs> nice. I took them off for a bit to also just like hear the sounds of Penny Lane as well. Um, right. You know, I, there's like three barber shops on there, really, you know, making sure that they take advantage of a good opportunity. Um, no banker sitting waiting for a trim, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was just you know, it, and it's just an ordinary street. You know, it's it's not really like anything amazing, but it's 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 still historic it's still uh this just the, the, this place where that's pretty near strawberry field which was was also an incredible place to visit you know like john writes this place about strawberry field and paul writes about penny lane just this place that's pretty close by because you know again it's it's that point in their careers where they're 
they're looking inside themselves for inspiration and to get a better understanding of who they are and where you grow up is such a big part of that. So yeah, um, visiting those two places were great. A similar thing actually that they're doing with McCartney's childhood home is being done at Strawberry Field. They're actually still developing Strawberry Field with um, like an outdoor music, small music venue where people can come and play music. And they're designing it in like the shape of like the Sergeant Pepper's drum. It's like this kind of upright drum where you can, uh, it was all being built at the time. So I'm not exactly sure how it's going to look, but it's where, yeah, people can come and get inspired, play music for others. Um, so it's nice. It's nice that there's these legacy venues and places in the Beatles' lives that are still being developed and people are still thinking of ways that they can make them special for other people and maybe, you know, give some of that magic to other artists. Like, I think that's great. And I think it's part of why the Beatles are always going to be relevant is that people are always going to want to, as you said, expand that universe that they Mm. started together. Yeah. And how cool is it that Bob Dylan is like a Beatles fan, just like us Yeah, and wants to go appreciate that in his own free time. Truly. (laughs) It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that was really fun to hear. I, I I mean, it's true, especially of John Lennon, uh, who's, you know, now not been with us longer than he was alive it's like he's this kind of figure in pop music history that's just like this uh this icon that you know just people are so mystified by yeah but i often i often wonder like something doesn't keep me up at night but i do think about it a lot if and i don't mean for this to get dark or anything but if like if roles were reversed and john was the one who stayed alive and like Paul was the one who was tragically taken from us. Like what the legacy of the Beatles looks like then, you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, like, cause I feel like because John, I mean, John was, he was, you know, the rebel, the icon, the hero, the, the one who got up and g- did all that grandstanding and stuff like that. And, you know, sang about peace and imagine and everything, but I feel like a lot of his legacy is wrapped up in the fact that he was tragically taken from us as, as well. And I, and I, and I often wonder like, what would people say about Paul McCartney? Cause Paul McCartney is just always there. He's omnipresent, you know, right. like as I discovered making that ranking album, there wasn't like a year that went by that he didn't have an album to bring out, whether it was a studio album or a covers album or a soundtrack or something. He's just, Paul McCartney's just always been there. And I, I wonder, because I, I feel like a lot of people do say, I guess people who maybe want to be a bit edgier or just their genuine, you know, decision to choose Lennon over McCartney, you know, right. like, does that change if, if McCartney's the one who's, you know, taken from us and Lennon is the one that's been with us all this time creating stuff, weird stuff, probably up until today. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how to. Yeah, 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 you know, that's a really interesting thought. It definitely crosses all of our minds at one point or another. I think one big thing to consider is that maybe the world's collective memory of the Beatles might be different. Since Paul has been like a big proponent in preserving this legacy of the band called the Beatles, I think John might have been a little more relaxed about it yeah. and rather more focused on the future. And, you know, mm-hmm. another thing that John probably would have 
continued um, is is his like really into it for a month and then drop it entirely philosophy <sighs> about trends especially music trends you know i would have loved to hear john create like 90s grunge with nirvana because the plastic gono band album is just like it is that you know 100 percent. i i like i i agree i think you know we know kurt cobain is a huge beatles particularly john lennon fan like i don't think there is a nirvana without plastic gono band you know and i did yeah does john you know listen to that and think oh he's just copying me or does he think oh i want to i want to make music with this guy you know what i mean like right does he become that person that's like oh they're just they're just doing what we did you know back in the early 70s or doing what i did back in the early 70s or does he embrace it I think he embraces it. <laughs> I don't know. That's, yeah. that's the tragic thing. It's like in 1980, there was a, and I think it's because of his experience at sea, there was something that, um, like a switch that was flipped in John Lennon, where he just kind of was okay with everything now. Like he was, he was just, he was finally okay with being himself and being John Lennon. And like, you hear that in Double Fantasy. Like he's just yeah. chilled out person who's just at peace finally and that's what's so tragic is, is that we don't we didn't get to see the world that where john lennon is this person who's not so caught up in you know the world and politics and he's maybe just okay being in his 40s and being a family man the thing that paul embraced 10 years prior you know like and i think that that would have fueled uh, a new wellspring of creativity and yeah, he would have, I, I, I think he fully would have, you know, gotten on board with Kurt Cobain, but even, you know, like Bone Thugs and Harmony, like he would have gone into like, you know, hip hop. He would have, he would have gotten into maybe even like crazy late eighties, um, alternative, uh, like indie scene, like dance pop, electro pop, like, cause that's John Lennon just loved all that new stuff. Like I, I, there's this one of the, I think it's like the last interview. It's, it's really bad quality recording, um, but it's like the last audio of John and George talking together. It's on YouTube oh, wow. somewhere. And they're talking about David Bowie. Hmm. And John's like, oh, I love him. I think he's great. You know, like, like he's, he's got all these, you know, incredible outfits and he's singing about this. And George is like, I don't really like him. Like, what's he trying to look like? You know, like, what's he, what's he doing? It's all a bit, you know, um, like, like George is, is kind of seeing through the, I I guess the facade of it all and being like, you know, what is, what is the human being? What's actually going on under there? I pulled his hat up from over his eyes and said, hi man, how are you? You know, nice to meet you. Pulled his hat off his eyes and said, you know, do you mind if I have a look at you to see what you are? Because I've only ever seen those dopey pictures of you. I mean, every picture I've ever seen of David Bowie or Elton John, they just look stupid to me. I hope they look great. Well, I think he looks dopey. I want to see, you know, I want to see who the person is. But John's like, no, look, like, look what he's, 
look how he's moving the music scene. Look what he's doing for like, you know, like identity and like masculinity. And like, I love that John was always obsessed with that. And he was so taken by that. And there was so much of that in the years after his death that is, yeah, I always wonder like how, what, what of it would he, would he have embraced? What of it would he have tried to inject himself into as well? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if the Beatles would be as um, as much of a legacy as they are now if the roles yeah, had no, been reversed. Not. I think Paul, being the natural PR man that he is, was very careful about which you know biopics to um, <laughs> approve of, which is probably you know none except for why there's basically nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he's very careful about that. Where I think if John. And George particularly were like, it's just the Beatles. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, like, exactly. The Beatles. I still can't believe I was a part of that group. Yeah. And maybe maybe they would have, you know, uh, seen the light again and realized that they were actually that great. I don't know. Um, you know, who's to, who's to say really? I I often think about like, yeah, what, George would think of all of this as well because the world really changed after George Harrison died. Like, yeah, um, he you know dies in two thousand and one. Um, you know, like literally just a couple of months after nine eleven. You know, like he he George really died at a point where the world just changed so much. Like, and it's still changing today. But I think, and Danny says this as well. Like. Uh, George's song Devil's Radio from from Cloud Nine is like a precursor to, you know, it's like a warning for like the world we live in today. Like the whole point of Devil's Radio is like in the Live in Japan show after he finishes it, he says, Devil's Radio, don't be a broadcaster. You know, like <laughs> he's like, he's so conscious of just these people with insane ideas and who just, aren't experts on a topic and who don't really who aren't qualified to speak about something who are just speaking as I speak into a microphone um (laughs) you know like just I think I think George would have found the world of like podcasting and uh tv shows and reality tv to just be so much and just social media to just be you know so, and when I talk about podcasting, I of course don't mean something like this, where we're speaking with love about the Beatles. I mean something like yeah. Joe Rogan, you know, like someone, just one person, like having so much influence and creating so much, at times harmful, um, you know, false information. I think George would have just been so terrified of that, and it would have just upset. I almost like, I think sometimes it's almost a good thing that George wasn't. A part of this world like I, I like olivia harrison i think is such a gem and is, is someone who uh with her and danny just really um really understanding george's legacy but i think that he would have even less to do with social media and you know he would be like he would hate instagram and he would hate twitter whereas john would be the opposite john would mm. be all over twitter john would be like any chance to like get closer to the world and like yeah you know, be able to like communicate with people. John, would, I think would, would, would take that. John would have a podcast or he would appear on everyone's podcast and just oh, chat absolutely. for four hours. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, that that's something that I think about a lot is what does the world of today look like for John and George if they were alive? Um, yeah, it's so interesting because it's a world that yeah. they helped create as well. Mm. So I would, yeah. I would love to, for them to be able to, I, I think we need their voices now more than ever. So. Yeah. I mean, I was again, listening to brainwashed uh, just yesterday and like the, the, the last song on George's last album brainwashed. Um, that's what the song's called as well. And he's like, he's basically just listing all the things that are brainwashing us and mobile phones were around, but mobile phones were just, you know, little things that you could text on and play like snake on or whatever. Right. And he says it, but he still says in the, in, in the song, brainwashed by computers, brainwashed by mobile phones. It's like, (laughs) how did he know? You know, like like social media wasn't even a thing. Like, like Facebook wasn't even a thing, but it's like he could see it coming from around the corner. And he was trying to like, before he was, he knew he was dying. And before he was going out, like he was like, you are being brainwashed you guys are like look out like look at what's right in front of you i what's so great about that album and that song in particular is that george's i guess kind of warnings or the things that he was i guess upset about in society he would kind of just you know complain about them i i suppose flippantly or to you know he he kind of give veiled messages with how he thought about it but with that song he's like no, I'm right here telling you, you are being brainwashed by this, brainwashed by that. Like, get it together, everyone. I'm about to leave this earth and I don't think it's in that good of a state. Um, So, I, yeah, I think he really looked at his legacy around that that time and was looking at what was coming around the corner. And I don't know if he was liking what he was seeing. But um, like he said, it is the world that, you know, he helped create and him and John helped create and it's such a shame that they're not a part of it. But again, that is probably has led to why the Beatles legacy has become so, you know, majestic and like a, a this big mystery, this big cosmic magical mystery. Um, yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what makes the Beatles always relevant? Well, it's a good question. I think because they are just, they're just the nucleus for pop culture, you know, like they, like you look at where we've come with music, media, personalities, just everything can be traced back to the Beatles, in my opinion, you know, like they will always transcend age. They will always, someone will be five years old, 10 years old and discover the Beatles and they'll think they have discovered their own special thing. That's unique to them. But of course it's the Beatles. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like it, there is something about their music. There is something about the way that they threw melodies together, threw words together, ideas that I think will just cut through to the next generation and the next generation. And I, that they'll be seen as more historic as instead of just necessarily being 
a band from the 60s who made great music and, you know, revolutionized pop and stuff. They, they will be seen as, you know, like a Beethoven or a Mozart or a Shakespeare, um, which I know you and Rob talked about a lot on um, his episode. But I, I, I truly think that's that that is the, the future of the Beatles. Like you can't study music, modern music, without connecting it to what the Beatles did. You know, like there's been plenty of other artists and personalities who have had an influence on pop culture, but none like the Beatles. And you, we, we can't forget that when examining where all this is going and, you know, how it's evolving. And it's also a matter of keeping their music fresh as well. Um, you're wondering, uh, and, you know, what's going to be the Beatles' influence in the next 10, 50, 100 years? I think right. part of it is people taking care of their music like they're doing now. I don't know if you're a fan of them. I really am. Uh, but the 50th anniversary remixes oh yeah, of Sgt. Pepper, White Album, Abbey Road, Let It Be, like just making them sound fresh. And Giles Martin, I think, just making his dad so proud, you mm-hmm. know, continuing that legacy of, you know, it's about basic, it's not about, you know, removing what, how they sounded back then. Like you, you've always got those original mixes, you know, you've always, you know, I've got my uh, Beatles mono box set on CD and vinyl. That is like one of my most treasured possessions that I can always refer back to, to how the Beatles were supposed to sound. I feel like that is how, like the peak of how they themselves thought of themselves as sounding which I could go on a whole separate rant. Why, when you go on streaming services, is mono not the default? Why is it stereo? They didn't oh, have yeah, a hand no, in right? stereo sound. It, it drives me up the wall, especially when you try to listen to like a hard day's night and you've got like, you know, you've got one headphone in, one out or speakers over here. It's like they never wanted this. They never wanted the stereo versions. They were doing it because it was, the EMI was doing it because it was a fad and it should be, anyway. So I'm, a bit choosy with how I listen to the Beatles, but I love that these new stereo mixes, they're actually balancing the stereo better and you listen to them and they sound modern and great up against, you know, like a, a modern artist. Like you, you can listen to like a Tame Impala record and one of these 50th anniversary mixes and they sound on par with each other. And I think that's going to be important because I think that people, the way we're going to listen to music and, or just, I guess, consume all this stuff uh, with, you know, these like strange technologies, AR, augmented reality. Like there's going to be really weird stuff that happens, I think, in the next 20 years with how you experience music. Like you can see the kind of the crumbs of it with stuff like spatial audio and Dolby Atmos, like being inside the sound and all that kind of thing. I think a few people think doing that to Beatles music is a bit gimmicky and a bit like, oh, that's, you know, they never would have approved of this, but they absolutely would have, you know, like the Beatles were all about like evolving their sound and like trying new things and, and experimenting with new ways to listen to music. So I think that brightening up these albums and these songs is going to be a very important thing that people like Giles Martin do. Um, like I said, you've always got the original mixes. They're not going anywhere. You can, you know, if you're, if you are a fan of their music, you can go and get them and, and, and listen to them, how they were, how they were sounding in the sixties and seventies and whatnot. Um, but I think it's important 
to keep freshening them up and, and brightening them. And I mean, I just love it. I love listening to like, it was uh, like Abbey Road, especially the the 50th anniversary and just, just hearing the clarity in their voice. Like I said, I love the harmonies and just hearing the separation of John, Paul and George's voices was just like, it's like a come to Jesus moment for me, you know, like, or just hearing the strings isolated on something, you know, which is like basically my favorite Beatles song. Um, It's just stuff like that is so important. And like you said, it's there, it's in a vault. All this stuff is in a vault. And even if they're just outtakes and demos and stuff like that, I do think that they should keep giving them, giving that to us. And I hope, I hope, by the 60th anniversary of Please Please Me and With the Beatles and Hard Day's Night, that because Giles said the technology to make that four track, um, those four track tapes sound really good is not quite there yet. He said that a few years ago when the, when everyone was like, "What are you going to do with when are you, you going to do like Revolver and Rubber Soul and all that?" Right. Um, I hope that that technology is going to be ready soon because I'm because I'm ready to hear that. I'm ready to hear those. <laughs> a proper stereo mix of those early albums. Cause I like stereo. Stereo is better than mono. Like, right. but stereo back then was terrible, but the stereo mixes of like the 50th anniversaries, they're all great. So if you can, if they can do that to the other albums, I'll be very, very happy. Um, and then, yeah. And then beyond that, it's like, like this thing that ABBA are doing um, with their, their live concert i think is so like there's been the because it only just opened in late may um while i was in london but it was sold out so i couldn't get tickets but these videos are coming out of these of this performance and it looks like abba is on stage it looks like abba from like 1979 is on stage Crazy. like you can there's yeah like there's i'm sure if you're like in the front row looking like you could tell that it's not really them but they're like they're casting shadows. Like this isn't just a hologram. This is like something else. And I don't know if that's what should be done with the Beatles because partly because all of ABBA is alive and they can approve of all this. Whereas like Mm. you get into the weeds of, you know, using the likeness of John and George that gets into a very gray area, but I don't know stuff like that. That technology excites me. And I don't think, I think there's a lot of purists who thinks it's, who think like, Oh, that's, that's not right. You shouldn't do that or anything. But I'm like, these kids, they're going to hear this Beatles music and they're going to love it. But if you want it to, if you want it to sound as relevant and to be as magical as when we all first heard it, when we were younger, like we're going to need to keep kind of updating it in little ways that the rest of the world is, you know, yeah. Listening and consuming this media, you know, cause otherwise if you do, if you just put on, you know, like, the the 1987 version of like the cd quality of any one of their albums to anything today they do just sound so different like Mm -hmm. obviously the beatles music is going to be better in my opinion but the production really needs to, to to i think stay relevant to to still be interesting for people's ears maybe that's blasphemous to say that like the music isn't enough i think it is for me i think it should be but i think yeah I, i think we the people managing the Beatles music need to stay conscious of that. Could you even imagine seeing the Beatles perform live today when they're like 25 years old? Oh. It, it blows my yeah. mind. I, going back to our earlier discussion, if John and George were alive today, 
I think John would really like how experimental this is. Right. And I think George would have <laughs> despised it. I think so. I think you're absolutely right. I, yeah, I can imagine a concert that like, kind of like the Beatles rock band, that game. Um, oh yeah. From 2009 I that, that I had. Where yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, where you have like a live version of them from like 63 or 62 in the cavern and then like them at like Shea Stadium in 64 or 65 and then them at like, I don't know, the Budokan in Japan in like 66 and then finishing with like them on the rooftop, you know, like and you have these different versions of the Beatles live and in each version they're playing different hits from their career. Like you can see it in your head. You can imagine it. But it's yeah, I, I guess I guess is it appropriate is is the real question. But man, that like if they could make that happen and it all be good with all the families and the estates and that kind of thing, it would just it it would be just transformative. It would, yeah. it would breathe again new life into the Beatles in the in the way that you know the Get Back documentary did. Because um, like, wasn't that like a just a fun time, a fun few weeks when? the whole world was into the Beatles again. I oh, really yeah. noticed that on. Great. Yeah. Like on. And the fact that it happened around the holidays was just like, which is a time that people will generally, you know, on social media, maybe just a little bit happier. Yeah. And it was like, you'd go on, you know, Twitter is a pretty, uh, you know, exhausting experience. At, yeah. <laughs> but, but when at the height of get back, it was, it was like, there was this just this thing that was making everyone happy again and that people could just, you know, they were like sharing clips from it and it was just great. I just loved it. Yeah. Um, so I think any, any time where there's a new Beatles thing is always going to be a good time in history. It's going to be a better time for people in just in the world. There'll be a new thing to, to latch onto and to that'll provide immense enjoyment. Like they've always provided the world. Yeah, it's just something that never gets old. And with the 60th anniversaries of their albums coming up, there's no way you'd be able to tell it's been 60 years since these albums have been released. Yeah. You know, like you said, they're just always young. Mm -hmm. And I think they would have loved Dolby Atmos as well. Dolby Atmos, yeah, all that stuff. I I think so too. I, I, I think, you know, they John especially was always looking for ways to spruce up their sound like john hated the sound of his own voice famously and was always looking for ways to mask it and manipulate it and change it and um you know paul was always trying to get a better sound out of the band and his bass playing and you know like hearing how much better it can sound now like I, I almost can't go back to like the, the, the older mixes. Like when, when I, when I'm trying to like, cause I'm a, I'm a bass player. And when I try to like locate a bass line, it's so much easier with these new mixes. Like the mm-hmm. bass is like front and center. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, it's, it, it's so, it's so clear. And it's like, I know these aren't, you know, these aren't the, the George Martin or Jeff Emmerich mixes, the, the Holy grail of, um, how the Beatles should sound, but it's hard to go back sometimes when you listen to, you know, like, yeah, like that white album 50th anniversary as well. It's oh just, gosh. it's just, it's just amazing. There's harmonies that I just never heard before. Like I listened to like, I will even like something as simple as I will by Paul McCartney. And it's like, I didn't know there was a second harmony there in this song. I didn't, or a third harmony. I didn't know it was that clear in the mix. And it's, a, they're just bringing out these, these, uh, 
these brilliant sounds. That was what was also great about um, uh, that McCartney three two one. Uh, oh yeah, series that yeah. Um, he did with uh, uh, Rick Rubin on who? Rick Rubin. Rick, I was yeah. going to say Dave Rubin. Rick Rubin. Um, yeah. yeah, like man, what, could you imagine just getting that mixing desk and just playing just with those knobs and sliders all day and just isolating those bits of those songs that you want to hear. Like yeah. when they did, um, when they were looking at my guitar gently weeps and they noticed how like the drum and bass section is like this heavy, like doom, 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 doom. But then you listen to George and the guitar part and it's like this lush, heavenly light, you know, you know, beautiful song. And it's like these two contrasting elements of the song that I never really thought about. And Paul said he'd never really thought about that, but they're the way that you discover things in the music by being able to hear like a separation of, of bass and drums or guitar and vocals and stuff. Like, I guess that's the one good thing about their original stereo mixes is that I guess you can put one ear in and out and just hear this or just hear that or whatever. But yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> there's all those there's videos just, online that that make fun of that. Yeah, oh my god. Um, <laughs> uh, part, partly why they need to keep they need to keep freshening them up because as long as the stereo mixes are going to be the ones on streaming, yeah. um, you gotta because boy oh boy. Hopefully they change that because the mono mixes are still just so good and the way right. the way the Beatles wanted to hit, to have themselves sound. So you know. Yeah, you got to think about all the college students with, you know, broken headphones where only one of their earbuds work. They're probably like, what's the big deal with this band? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't get it. (laughs) So, Elliot, you've named a lot of uh, different facts over the course of this podcast. Do you have a favorite fact about the Beatles that some people may not know? Ooh, a favorite fact that some people may not know. Well, I don't know if it's my favorite fact, but it's, I think, one that's a bit new in the in the Beatles zeitgeist that people might not know because I think Danny Harrison only revealed it recently in some interviews is that George Harrison was a Star Wars fan and that his um he loved Star Wars mainly because of the way that George Lucas talked about the force he's like you know when George would always say like when you talk about God people's toes curl and like he was forever, George was forever trying to find a way of talking about God and, you know, the beauty of life and the beauty of the world um, through his music, but he didn't want to turn off people. He didn't want, you know, to, to and he didn't want people to misinterpret it because, of course, he wasn't a religious person. He wasn't like a devout Christian or anything. That was, if anything, the last thing from his mind. But he loved that the force in Star Wars, like George Lucas managed to find a way to talk about what George had been trying to talk about uh, and sing about in his music. You know, it's the thing that binds us, that, that connects us, that, um, you know, that you can't see, but it, it's there in everything. Like, I love that George like found this, this other big thing in pop culture and was like, yeah, that's what I've been trying to talk about this whole time. Yeah. And like when Mark <laughs> Hamill, like saw him on a plane, like years ago, he was like too nervous to speak to him. So he just like sent him a note saying like, thank you so much for, you know, all the music that you gave. And the, the flight attendant came up to Mark Hamill and was like, yeah, he wants to talk to you. And he was just like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of yours as well. You know, like I, I, I love that that George found so much joy and so much of what he was 
trying to communicate with the world. He saw that in other things. And um, yeah, I, I, I just like that. Um, I just like that fact about him and about what he was, what George's lifelong, you know, goal was, was kind yeah. of success, more successfully done in a Star Wars film, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah. I just think that's that that's kind of funny. There's also um, I can't think of one right now, but I've been getting through McCartney the lyrics, um, and I've read the first volume. I kind of want to take my time with it. Um, but there's some great stuff in there about uh, Paul's just yeah, just stuff about songs that you know I'd never heard before. Again, I can't think of uh, one off the top of my head, but. I love that there is always you, you think that everything about the Beatles has has already been discovered. Right. But there's always new stuff. Especially yeah. as long as, you know, Paul and Ringo are alive. There's always new stuff out there that is 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 to be discovered, to be learnt. Um I'd love to talk to like someone like Danny Harrison. You should really try and get him on this podcast and just someday soon. I just want to learn more about George as a dad as well. And, yes. You know, like like one of my favorite, <laughs> well, I, I love hearing about like George's parenting techniques and just the way he would like raise Danny, like he'd be sitting around, they'd be sitting around the breakfast table. And then all of a sudden George would just say to Danny, you know, we're not really these bodies Dan. you know that, right? Aren't yeah. You? Like, like right. imagine just like springing that stuff on your kid before, like being a child before you're about to go to school and just yeah. being told by your dad that we are not these bodies. Like I want to know more <laughs> about his childhood with George Harrison as a father. Um, yeah. I just think that would be endlessly fascinating. <laughs> There's that one story that Danny tells in the living in the material world documentary. Yeah. Where Danny was like 15 years old and he had some kind of run in with a police officer. And then yeah. George came over and essentially just told the police officer right off without any context of the yeah. scenario. So, yeah, I mean, I would love to hear um, more stories like that from Danny. That would be fantastic. Yeah, when Danny realized that his dad was actually cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, so good. My favorite quote from George is actually the last thing he ever said, and it's, everything else can wait, but the search for God cannot wait, and love one another. Mm. I just think that's so cool. And you yeah. know, for that to be the last thing that George Harrison ever said in his entire existence, that, you know, it speaks volumes about him. And it's also very, you know, it's very Jedi-like. Like, like uh, you know, you know you're going to die and you're, and you're yeah. acknowledging that you're going on this quest. You're going on this search for, for God, for meaning, for love, for the Force. Man, I love George. <laughs> I, I yeah. have a really deep level of appreciation for him. Can I ask you, is, is he your favorite Beatle? Oh, uh, you know, I think just on average over the course of my whole life, I ha I'm obligated to say Paul because I've yeah. loved Paul and his music ever since I was a kid. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, think, I think my dad has played the Wings as much as the Beatles, Band yeah. on the Run album specifically, and Ram. But as I grow older and as I begin to read more about them as individuals, I think I'm the most like George. I just really mm -hmm. appreciate and kind of identify with how he doesn't or how he sees through people's like fame and how he yeah. sees through people's ego. Yeah, there's, there's something beautiful about someone who, you know, could be the most 
famous person in the world, the most beloved artist of all time, as he was on a trajectory of being. But he also just wants to garden, you know? Yeah. Like he doesn't like he, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want to he doesn't want to get that lifetime achievement award. He'd rather look after his chrysanthemums, you know, yeah. because it truly doesn't matter to him. And and not in like a way that's like nihilistic or anything, but the opposite. Like, you know, like I truly think that you know, the ego is always with us in some form, but with George, he really was able to relinquish it a bit and just, you know, just enjoy being in his garden and, and meditating and stuff. And like, that's, that. it seems like that's mostly all he wanted to do. Like he says it in living in the material world. He, he's like, well, you know, every now and then I'll pick up a gu- guitar and write some songs because that's, that's what I do. And that's, you know, that's what I'm, I, I suppose, what I'm good at and what I've chosen to be what I, what I do and what I give in this life, but it's not what I really want to do. (laughs) (laughs) Like he loves, he loves being in a band. He loves, he loves collaborating with friends and and being in a team like with the Beatles, with Monty Python. Like he, he does love that whole side of things. But when it comes down to like, who was the best or who wrote, like who had the best album or who, who did this? Like George doesn't, he just didn't care. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and I I love that because Paul will always care. Paul will always care yep. so much. And I and that's what we love about Paul. We love that he's always going to be that, you know, the ultimate Beatles fan himself. Um, but yeah, I just I just love that dichotomy between those two. And you know, it's 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 like you said when you were younger, you're you're probably more of a Paul guy, and now you're realizing that, you know, George kind of had it had it going on the whole time yeah but in different points of our lives i think we'll we'll respond to different beatles like when i was younger when i was a teenager it was probably more john lennon Mm because i really liked i just liked his rebellious attitude i liked that he you know it was like a no fucks given kind of thing like he he was just he was just that 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 dude that you know and he had the most yeah, those like really like hard rocking songs and that kind of thing. Like he was just, you know, when you're young and you're, you, you do feel like you want to be a bit more, you know, macho or, or whatever. And even John has said that he's like, he, he would have this kind of, you know, macho attitude because he was insecure himself. And he's like, that's what he thought he had to do. And then as you get older, you realize, oh, there's so much more beauty in, you know, just being, you know, I guess, more more gentle with yourself and and other yeah. people in the world and um then i really started responding to mccartney and now it's probably more george you know so the question of favorite beetle might be obvious to some people but i think to i guess people like you and me who see so much i suppose nuance and light and shade in these in these men that it's kind of impossible to choose yeah. it really mm-hmm. depends on the day you know it's like um, a constellation and the stars have to align perfectly for you to be able to say the, the answer is George and yeah. so on for Paul and John and Ringo. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll probably go and read, you know, Paul McCartney, the lyrics and I'll be like, ah, oh, yeah, I, this is the guy. He is yeah. the one, but I'm going to read I Me mine soon. I can't wait to read it. It's, it's huge volume. It's been updated several times. Uh, I'll probably be like, yeah, this is, George, of course. But then when I was making the the John video um, where I rank all of his albums, I was like, this is such a special person. Like this guy is, as George says in um, 
uh, is it all those years ago is like you were the one who imagined it all you know john was john was the guy who was there from the start who who wanted to who wanted to change the world and and believe that he could um and it's it's so hard it's so hard choosing your favorite <laughs> people <laughs> it's but it's it's a pleasure that it is so difficult because yeah. um yeah anyway <laughs> so elliot what have you been up to recently well, um, like I said, I just got back from a six-week trip around Europe and the UK where I guess I, well, I mean, part of that was for my videos. I mean, going to Liverpool was a big deal for me. I'm probably going to make a video um, using some footage that I filmed up there. Uh, I made one on my Patreon, just a bit of a freewheeling, you know, my thoughts on Liverpool, but I'll, I'll, I'll make a more, I guess, considered video about i don't really know what that's going to be yet but stay tuned um but uh in very fresh news i actually just resigned from my retail job that i've had for like seven years because congratulations (laughs) uh which i'm announcing for the first time on this podcast uh (laughs) because i i think i can now yeah sustain myself from making videos which is really good news for myself and for everyone who likes watching my congratulations videos, that's great thank you yeah I, it's it's a huge weight off and now i can make more videos um i've got quite a few in the pipeline and that's really it i'm very happy just just doing that i i um i really i really enjoy the process of writing um you know filming collating footage and just editing these videos that people seem to be enjoying um and uh, yeah, there's going to be plenty about the Beatles. I, I really want to rank George's solo albums. Um, uh, I mean, I started doing that with Paul, so I've got to keep doing it. Maybe I'll do it for Ringo, but I'm really excited for George because uh, listening and re-listening to his stuff over the last six months, I'm like, man, this 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 guy, there's, there's so much. And there's so much of George that people don't bother listening to, like, yeah. I don't know why, but like the concert for George after his death is amazing, amazing concert. But the only song that's like not from All Things Must Pass, I think they did one from Living in the Material World. The only one that they did was um, That's the Way It Goes from Gone Troppo. I'm like, how do you not include anything from 33 and a Third or or George mm-hmm. Harrison or yeah. like why didn't you get Ronnie Spector coming out to do you from extra texture like that would have been like a slam dunk um anyway i just think there's so much of george's music that is that people just haven't heard or talked about in a meaningful way i can't can't wait to just do a huge deep dive on um on on that man and and his stuff so that's 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 coming up that's what i'm working on um there's a few buy-up pick related uh videos that i've got in the works i think this new elvis movie is very interesting yeah i don't know how good it's gonna be so excited but for it. i'm fascinated by it because i've also been um i've always been very interested in method acting i don't think i don't necessarily condone it but i'm very interested in it like this web series that i created was called method actor is like a comedy on the ridiculousness of method acting um but like, I don't know if you've heard Austin Butler, the guy who plays Elvis now, but he's like maintained this Elvis accent 
like he used to speak, there's like clips of him from like five years ago and he's like, you know, born and raised in California and he's got a typical Californian accent. And now he's like, oh, thank you so much. It's so good being back, being here in Australia where we film this, film this uh, you know, incredible story. And it's just like, dude, you're out of character now. Like, what do you, why, why do you still sound like Elvis? But because he was, he was kind of like stuck in that role because like he, they were shooting pre-pandemic and then post-pandemic. And I guess he never really like dropped the character um, in that time. And now he's like stuck sounding like Elvis, even on the press tour. <laughs> Stuff like that I find endlessly fascinating so i'm gonna go see that film and i don't know i might make a video on that or or, uh something around that because yeah that's that's so weird to me and plus it's elvis like right of course i'm gonna make a a video about the elvis movie yeah there's been a lot of them as well so i'm wondering what's gonna set this one apart from you know the uh the Jonathan Rhys Myers one and uh, the is Kurt Russell. He played him as well. Like there's been a lot of, a lot of Elvis biopics. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with that. I've also got, um, I'm, I've been teasing this video for probably over a year, but I'm finally going to get stuck into my video on give my regards to broad street. Oh. Uh, Paul's <laughs> Paul's uh, 1984 smash hit no not smash it but but the film that he made that he wrote and starred in that still to this day like why does it exist like it's such a weird enigma of a film um uh that i kind of love but it's yeah it's just really strange so i'm gonna make a video on that yeah i i I, it's really just just youtube videos just me doing my thing um uh, stuff like this is great as well I, i haven't actually done that many podcasts so thank you so much for you know letting me be part of of this i i i, I love this podcast I've, I've i've loved talking to you um if anyone else out there <laughs> yeah. wants me to ramble about the beatles let me know because um yeah this is just the kind of stuff i'm going to be doing for the next little while and uh i love doing it so yeah where can they reach you elliot People can reach me uh, on YouTube. They can just probably search my name, Elliot Roberts, or if you want the URL, it's youtube.com uh, forward slash Elliot Roberts videos. Uh, that's two L's, one T in Elliot. Uh, on Instagram, I am uh, at Elliot Roberts. And on Twitter, I am at Elliot Roberts 5. Couldn't get just uh, my first and last name on Twitter. So Elliot <laughs> Roberts 5 on Twitter. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, that's where you can find me subscribe to my to my channel if you want i'm really trying to get to a hundred thousand subscribers um so if you've enjoyed this and if you enjoyed my dumb videos uh please go ahead and uh jump on there and yeah give me a follow now we'll get you there no you'll get <laughs> Thanks, man. There. Your, your videos are, are fantastic and for everyone listening please go watch them specifically if i could recommend one one video to start with it would be why ram is the first indie pop album because oh thank you uh, i i love that the way you put it together i love the thought that went into it and um you've convinced me that it is the first in the <laughs> yeah i i had a really good response from that video um and something i i clear up in the something i clear up about it in the paul mccartney ranking video um when i say that like it's i say, i think i say at one point that it's like kind of lo-fi sounding i don't i obviously know that most of the a lot of that album was recorded in like a studio in new york with like a full band and stuff and it's very much not lo-fi but that album ram is 
it brings up that kind of provincial vibe. And if you listen to a song like Three Legs or if you listen to a song like Ram On, like there's something very kind of homespun about about that album. And there's there's elements of it that are lo-fi. There's elements of it that are grandiose. There's just so much going on with Ram at all times. Like it's it's like that album holds like everything that had happened in music up until that point is in that album. Um, I just think it's endlessly fascinating. And yeah, if you, yeah, if you want to start with my channel, go ahead, um, jump into that. It's one of my shorter videos as well. I have a lot of videos that are over an hour or two hours. So if you want something a bit more manageable, I would, uh, yeah, begin with that. Cool. And the links to everything will be in the podcast description and, uh, go check him out guys. Elliot, thank you so much for coming on the show. Jack, thank you. This was an absolute joy. I had such a good time. And um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing because this, uh, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out there. There's a lot of people that will kind of just talk and like the sound of their own voice. And you are someone who I've definitely got just a really nice vibe from. I really like your approach with this podcast. Uh, I really like how, how you let the guests just kind of speak. I don't know, that might be to my detriment. Um, with my ramblings, but no, I think, I think you're doing a really good thing here, man. So uh, thank you so much for having me on. Junctures from Liverpool, England. The Beatles have held this title for eight years. My model of business is the Beatles. You know, they were four very talented guys. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. Thank you, Elliot Roberts, for coming on the show. For those of you who haven't seen Elliot's videos yet, go check out his YouTube channel. The link is in the podcast description. If you like the episode, don't forget to follow this podcast and see which guest comes on next week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Beatles Earth, and I'll see you next week.